Thank you very much. You may be seated. And let's take God's word once again and turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 16, Exodus 16. We have much to be thankful for as a church, and good to see some folks back with us this morning who have been away ill for a number of weeks. Glad to have them here with us. We rejoice and praise God for raising them up and bringing them home. We thank the Lord for that. Exodus chapter 16. I want to draw your attention to uh, the last verse we read in chapter 17, verse number 7. The last phrase, it's a question that the children of Israel asked. Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? What a question. What a valid question, if it's asked the right way. Unfortunately, the nation of Israel, we're not asking it the right way, but it is nonetheless a valid question. Is God with us or not? It's a question that should be asked, not just once, but frequently asked along our journey. Is the Lord with us? Is he with us in this endeavor? It's a question that we ought to ask really in every move in life. When you go to purchase a new home, is the Lord with us in this matter? When you go to move, is the Lord with us? I can remember, we'll come to it, I'm sure, when Moses stood before the Lord and he said, God, if you don't go with me, I'm not going anywhere. Because he understood the importance of knowing that God was with them. It's a question that every believer should ask. And it's a question I believe that every church should ask. We're not a very good church if we don't stop to consider whether or not God is with us. Every movement, every mission that's attempting to do the work of God should ask, is the Lord among us or not? Now there's a sense in which every Christian can say, yes, the Lord is with me, never to leave me or forsake me. But do we know his presence? So the question that we begin with in this text, in this context, Israel is moving along, the nation of Israel are moving along. They've been fed by manna. They've got into the pattern of getting the manna six days a week and resting on that seventh day. And, and now they are moving. We read in the book of Numbers that they had already taken two other stops in, in encampments before they ended up here in Exodus chapter 7 in this place called Rephidim. But in this place is where the question is asked, is the Lord among us or not? Now, why are they even asking this question? I don't know about you, but looking at it from hindsight, I'm baffled that they would even ask such a question at the evidences of God's love and the evidences of God's presence with them. Why would they even ask such a question? I'll tell you exactly why, and you might be able to relate. They're asking this question because they had come to a point and place of need in their life. There was no water for the people to drink. They were thirsty. And not just thirsty, but so thirsty that they thought they were going to lose everything. Have you ever been there before? As a follower of God, have you ever been to the point when you've gone through a drought 
a season for a length of time when you haven't heard God's voice, you haven't felt his presence, you haven't known his touch, and you felt, where is God? You ever been there before? That's where they were. That's why they asked that question. And so before we get too judgmental, no doubt they were wrong in asking it, and I'll show you in a moment. But before we get too critical, I wonder how many times we've asked that question. Is the Lord among us or not? They were thirsty. And by the way, this thirst had come because they were following God. It wasn't like they were out running away from God and doing their own thing. They were following that cloudy pillar and fiery pillar. They were following every step of the way, one town, one stop to the next, trying to obey God, trying to do it right. They were making mistakes along the way, no doubt about it, but they were trying to follow him, and here they are thirsty. Have you ever been there? You thought you were doing everything right. You thought you were living a life honoring to God. You thought you were obeying him. In fact, verse number one says, all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord. They were following God's leading and God's command. And this is how so many believers today become disillusioned in their faith. They try to follow the commandments of God as best that they can, and then something bad happens. Have you ever met somebody like that? Maybe that's you. Have you ever met someone who, trying their best to follow God, and something bad happens, and they find themselves on their back on the floor, and, and maybe they get, get up, and then it happens again, and they say, why, is all of, why are all of these bad things happening? The problem is a misunderstanding. So the question was asked, is the Lord among us? And the reason they asked that question is because they thought they were doing the right thing and this kind of a result happened. I wonder this morning if you're thirsty and you don't know why. That's where they were. They were thirsty and they couldn't understand why they were thirsty because they were doing everything that they should. They were following God and they couldn't understand why now after following the Lord, they were facing this problem. It is very difficult, but in the midst of a drought, we must learn to ask this question. Is the absence of trials the evidence of God's presence? That's what we think sometimes. We think that if there aren't any problems, that means God's with us. And therefore, we think that if there are problems, God must have left. We've got a problem with our thinking. The answer to that, of course, is no. The presence of problems does not mean that God is gone. And the absence of problems doesn't mean God's here. Do you remember what the psalmist said? I looked at the wicked and, and, and looked at all their prosperity and wondered in my heart, how on earth, why are they prospering so well and, and we're over here struggling? You ever felt that way? Of course. We cannot question whether God is with us or not simply because we're going through difficult times. In fact, let me just give you a few verses to encourage you to help you to understand that just because you're going through something difficult doesn't mean God has left you. Let me give you a few verses, and there are many, many more. Listen carefully. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. You might know this one. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall have no persecution. Is that what it says? 
shall suffer persecution. Peter writes, that was Paul writing to Timothy. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. If you're following God and reproach follows, be rejoice for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. Another one, Hebrews chapter 12. We find again this evidence. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 32. Scripture tells us this. Hebrews 12 verse 22. But ye are come... You are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, into an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. There was a, there was a time of shaking in every believer's life. There will come a time of shaking, which does not mean that God is gone. Not at all. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul writes again to the church at Thessalonica, and he says this in verse number 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Did you know that? Believers appointed to afflictions. Now, there's a, there's a false teaching in the world today that says God wants you to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and have no problems. And if you have problems, then something's wrong with your faith. But you read in God's word that we are appointed at times we are appointed to afflictions. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. Again, in Acts chapter 14 and verse number 22, we find once again the evidence and the sign that those who are walking and following God will face trials, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. John 16, the Lord Jesus tells us that the world hated him, it's going to hate you. It is ridiculous to imagine that just because you're going through a trial, God has left you. The presence of difficulty does not indicate the absence of God. But it also doesn't prove that God's with us. Just because you're going through a difficult time doesn't mean you can say, this means God's with me. Peter says, let none of you suffer as an evildoer. You can suffer because of your own mistakes. Put that aside for a moment. Put that in the back of your mind. Understand, just because you're going through a difficulty doesn't mean God has left you. So how do we know then? Back to our text. How do we know that God is with us? Because that's the problem that the Israelites were facing. God, 
We don't know that you're with us. Well, I'll begin with this. The first way you can know that God is with you is by past evidences. Now, that's not sufficient enough. Because just because he was moving and working then doesn't mean he's moving and working right here and now. But it is a starter. Has God ever moved in your life? Has God ever proven that he was with you before? Has he? Has he ever proven to you that he loves you? Have you ever sensed his presence and his love? Have you ever known his power there with you? Well, these folks did. In the last couple of months, they knew it. Now, I could say the 10 plagues, and that would be evidence enough. Week after week, month after month, however long it took, they watched, they observed 10 times God afflict the nation of Egypt with plagues, and they were not touched. The evidence that God was with them. That last plague, the Passover, the death of the firstborn in every home, which didn't touch the Israelites because the blood of the lamb was applied. Evidence, God was with them. They went to the Red Sea and they said, oh, you brought us out here to die. God opened the Red Sea, took away that problem, took away that doubt. Walked through the Red Sea, looked back over their enemies, thought for sure the enemies were going to catch up. And just at the last moment, God slammed the Red Sea on top of them, squashing all of their enemies. Another evidence, God was with them. They went to the bitter waters of Mara and grumbled because there was nothing to drink. It was bitter. They couldn't drink it. And God, through his servant Moses, tossed a tree into the waters and turned the bitter waters sweet. Evidence that God was with them. They came to Elam, paradise in the desert. God was with them. They were hungry and murmured against Moses and God. And God sent manna from above, which would continuously feed them for 40 years. Every day, evidence, God was with them. God gave them rest. God let them stop and cease, rest from their labors one day a week, a token of God's love. Evidence, God was with them. He led them by a pillar of cloud and fire, a, a, a pure, evident token. God was with them. And yet they say, is the Lord among us or not? Now, it would do you good to sit down one day with a piece of paper and a pen and write down all the evidences that God has given you to prove that he's with you, to prove that he loves you, to prove that he is even now with you. Write them down. We sing that hymn sometimes, count your blessings, name them one by one. Well, the author of that hymn was contemplating suicide. Enough was enough, he said. I'm fed up. It would be better if I were dead. So he sat down and he said, before I take my life, I want to leave a note for my sons, my children, so that they know that although I've decided to take my life, there's still much in the world worth living for. So he began to write down on that piece of paper the blessings in life so he could give it to his sons, leave it for his sons, so that they wouldn't follow in his footsteps. And he wrote and filled up one side of paper, the many blessings of his life, and turned it over and filled up the back side of the paper, blessing after blessing after blessing, and took out another sheet of paper and finally put his pen down and said, I can't take my life. There are far too many blessings. And it would do you good to count your blessings and name them one by one. Are you doubting God's love today? Are you doubting the presence of God today? Simply because you're thirsty. 
because you're going through a difficulty. And it's an interesting thought. Natural desires and passions can easily draw us away from our confidence. Natural desires like eating. When your belly gets hungry. God, where are you? When you can't pay the bills because you have to pay the bills. God, where are you? We begin to doubt, don't we? Or when there's a problem in a marriage or a relationship. In these natural areas of life, that's usually when we doubt the most the presence of God. When things aren't right there. Maybe when our health begins to crumble. God, in desperation, God, where are you? Well, that's the first way we know that God's with us. Past evidences. A second way we know. What has he said? What did God say? We are in a unique position and the world knows it. I was speaking in the open air yesterday with our friend, Big John, and, and he says, what is your evidence? He said, I said, well, all around us, there's a lot of evidence. I said, but in my own life, there's great evidence of God moving and working within me. He says, yeah, but oh, anybody can say that. And I began to speak. He says, you just believe what you believe because of that book, referring to the Bible. And I had to come to a point and say, well, much of that is absolutely true. What this says, I believe. Now, that wasn't a, I didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I think that's what I'll do. I'm going to believe that book rather than that book. But over the process of time and God moving and working, he gave such evidence in my own heart and mind that this was indeed the word of God. That I have no doubt now. And now when I look at God's word and there's a question and there are many things I don't understand and maybe sometimes you find something that looks like a contradiction, I'm very happily, I'm very happy to sit back and say, my understanding is limited. I very possibly could be wrong. But he cannot. So we must ask, what has God said? Has God given any word to us? Did God give any word to the Israelites? He did. He told them he'd take them out of Egypt and into the promised land. So why would they be asking? Is God with us or not? Did he bring us out here to die when he's already told them? He didn't bring them out to die, but he brought them to take them into the land promised to them. And so you as a child of God can know. Not even because of what God told Israel, but because of what God tells you through his word and through his promises and by his spirit. There are so many things in God's word that if you would only read God's word and begin to hide God's word in your heart, that when you get into a valley, valley, you can pull from that cupboard of promises that'll soothe your soul, that'll remind you of what thus saith the Lord. Now, the, doc the doctor may say this, but God said that. Now, the world may say this, but God says something else. Thus saith the Lord. Oh, the intellectual people and all the scientists may say this, but God says another thing. And that's where we must stand on what God says. Look, sometimes I get thirsty. It's natural. Sometimes in following God and going where he leads and doing what I think he wants me to do, sometimes I get thirsty and I don't feel his presence. And instead, I feel very hungry and very thirsty inside. But that doesn't mean God left me. He's there. He's just as much here today as he was then in the days of the Israelites' wilderness wandering. He's here. 
But do you believe it? We can throw out promises. And one of the promises that are thrown out very frequently is a promise that is mentioned, he will never leave us nor forsake us. But it's one thing to be able to quote that verse. It's another thing to be able to feel that verse. To know it. To know it within my heart. What I mean by feel it, I don't mean by feeling God's presence, but believing that verse. More than just intellectually reading it and being able to recite it, but basing steadfastly my hope upon it. Do you know the Christian's great hope and expectation is a world to come? That's why we very happily, we sing like Martin Luther once wrote, you can take my goods, my kindred, and my home. You don't have much. I have something far greater that is to come. Our hope and expectation is in a whole nother world that is to come. And that is based entirely on the promises of God. And it is not enough for you just to read them. They've got to find their way into the depths of your soul. They become the bedrock upon which you stand. No matter what you're feeling. Sometimes I don't feel like getting up out of bed. Every once in a while somebody says to me, you know, sometimes I just don't really feel like going to church. I said, I feel that way and I'm the pastor. We don't do what we do because we feel like it. We do what we do because it's right and because it's true and because of what God's word says. And so the presence of Almighty God doesn't come and go based on how I feel. So many Christians are living for an experience and a feeling. We must base these things on what we know to be true about what God has done, what we know to be true about what he has said. And here's something else. Look for him now. How do I know that God is with me? How do I know? Look what Moses did. They came and they chided against him. Verse number two, wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Where is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And look what Moses does. Moses is the only one who has the right response. And Moses cried unto the Lord. I don't know where God is in all of my problems. Well, why don't you get on your knees and seek him? Moses cried unto the Lord. An amazing thing about Moses, after all the abuse he took from the Israelites, he always immediately went to God. Abuse, murmuring, complaining, cried to the Lord. A bit more com murmuring, complaining, he cried to the Lord. He didn't retaliate. He didn't go to some other advisors, to the Lord. And so should you and I. When we feel thirsty, we feel a need, we feel God is gone, go to him in prayer. Now I want to show you something that is amazing that follows. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture that God has given the nation of Israel, the Israelites in this wilderness. One that they will remember and they should in essence still remember today. It became a practice in their feast observances. You find, look what happens. The Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod. That's encouraging because the rod, if you remember, was the same instrument by which God used 
and the hand of Moses to part the Red Sea. And so God says, there are some things that you've used before, that you've done before, that I'll use again. So don't cast off all the old ways and the old paths. Everybody wants to get rid of all those old things. God says, hold on to them. Take the rod. He took the rod with him. Look what the scripture says. And in verse number five, where, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb. Now, think for just a moment with me. God's talking to Moses. But he says, I'm, I'm with you, but I'm going to stand on the rock in front of you. What an, what an amazing promise that in your trial and difficulty, in your thirstiness, thirstiness, God is there standing on top of it all. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Here's what happened. Moses is instructed by God to take the rod of God, strike the rock, and in hitting that rock, immediately, waters gushed out. Enough waters to quench the thirst of all the Israelites. Now, from that point on, for the rest of Jewish history until today, they would remember that with a ritual in their feast days of pouring out water to remember the provision of Almighty God from the rock. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul was able to see something that the Israelites couldn't see. Can I just say to you, oftentimes in your trials, there's a lot happening there that you can't see. There's a lot there that maybe somebody else will see, but you can't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes and tells us this. He, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, pardon me, verse number 4. Start in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. There's that manna. And did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. What a thought. That thousands of years before Jesus would ever come, God would put before them a picture, a prophetic sign that one day the true rock of ages would come and would be smitten with Moses' rod, the rod of the law. And in smiting, being the curse of the law, smiting upon the back of Jesus Christ, rivers of living water would gush out for you and I. The only quenching of your thirst in this dry and thirsty land is found in Jesus. The source of your water is Jesus. Yeah, but I'm going through a very difficult time. The answer is Jesus. Oh, you don't understand, but it's more than just that. It's more than, it's something far bigger. No, no, no. Nothing is bigger than that. Because the rock of Jesus is the source from which all water flows to quench every spiritual thirst. And you might think it's a physical matter of not having enough money and your health being dwindling down, but it's deeper than that. And the answer for that, the answer for the grief that's there, the answer for the unbelief or the doubt or the fear that's there, the answer for all of that is found by drinking from that water that flows from Christ. 
Jesus spoke about the springs of living water that would come from you, which was, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. All that we need is found in the spirit of Christ, Christ himself, and by giving us his spirit. All is found there. Isaiah 53, the prophet just further illustrates this in speaking of the coming of the Messiah. And verse number four, surely he hath borne our sins and carried our griefs. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. With the rod of Moses, that rock was smitten. Jesus was smitten for our sins. The grumbling and murmuring of Israel, Moses smote the rock because of their grumbling, and he quenched their thirst out of that. Now, most of us would have said, forget it, Lord. I'm sick of these people. And even now, even now at this point, God still doesn't argue, doesn't threaten. God graciously provides. And I'm telling you this morning, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I do know that there is enough spiritual nourishment for your soul in Jesus Christ. And he's already been smitten. You just need to stoop and drink. And it's an ever-flowing, an abundant flowing rock. You can't ever drink it all up. Every time you start getting thirsty, go back to the rock and drink and drink and drink again. Now, Paul said that rock followed them. What a picture, what a thought. I have no idea the depths of what that means, but I do know spiritually the Lord Jesus is always near us. Every time we need a drink, all, we, all we've got to do is stoop, humble yourself and drink. Some of you now are nervous and fearful. You, some of you have bad health that's upon you, financial difficulties, all sorts of troubles you're facing right now, uncertainties. Just stoop and drink. Stoop and drink. All that you need is there. Rivers of living water are there. Now, one last thing before I close. One last thing that should have helped them, but it didn't help them. If you look back at the end of chapter 16, God gave a commandment after he fed them with manna. And the commandment was given in verse 32. This is the thing which the Lord commanded. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. So they carried with them, everywhere they went, evidence of God's provision, evidence of God's goodness, evidence of God's presence. So why were they asking, where is God now? When they could look and see for themselves, God was with them. One of the things that will help you is for you to do the same. Put those things in some sort of a memory pot. The scripture says it was a pot of gold. Put those things kept in the, to be kept in the Ark of the Covenant. Put those things somewhere where you can remind yourself. When you're feeling thirsty, remind yourself, God is with me. And don't doubt it. Remind yourself, God has given you a memorial. God has given you signs and evidences. And he's with you. Again, I don't know what you're going through this morning. But I do know that Christ is the answer. For every problem. Millions, they estimate millions of Israelites. And that one rock quenched every one of them in their thirst. That's a miracle that only God could do, a miracle that only Christ can provide. There's not a man on this earth that can do that for you. 
No matter how, how men, how great men imagine themselves to be, no matter how, how men put themselves up, they cannot meet your needs. Only Jesus can. And the greatest needs that we have are internal needs. May the Lord help us with this, to drink from that rock. Not just today, but tomorrow and the day after and the day after. May your soul be quenched. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee that in the wilderness there is a rock. We thank thee that Jesus said, if any man come, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Help us, Lord. Help us to run to that rock. To cling to that rock. Help us to sing with the, sing with the songwriter, oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I. Help us to hide ourselves in the cleft of that rock. Help us to acknowledge that Jesus is that rock and will provide all that our soul needs. May we be those who visit frequently the rock of Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, and draw from him daily. May we remember thy blessings. May we remember the way thou hast blessed us, proven thyself, evidences, tokens, Handfuls of purpose left to show us that there's a good God in heaven that is with us. May we not forget. May we not quickly forget how good thou hast been to us. And may we in this time seek thee. And seek thy face. and Seek the nourishment for our soul that has been promised unto us. Bless thy people now we ask in Jesus Christ's name.